For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar and sitting in for Josh Miller from FL Montreal is Michael Newton. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Josh is uh, in Hong Kong for his, uh, I guess, semi-annual trip now. He goes a couple times a year. Yeah, I think he's uh, supposed to be going for business, but every every second trip he goes, I'm not so sure. So, <laughs> uh, But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's over in the uh, in the Far East right now. He spent some time on the beach. I saw that in Thailand as well. So Apparently so, yes. Uh, that was all business. He'll be back. <laughs> He'll be back next week. Exactly. And so, Michael, let's uh, hit some uh, some entrepreneurial news and notes before we get to our guests, Joe Biggio and Pierre Lemoyne of Quovim C3. They do communications and contact center software, and uh, they recently merged a few years ago. So we'll talk about that and related issues. Yep. Uh, Mission Mayette on uh, on HR. She's going to be in and talk about some new tech and new IT solutions for HR. That's later in the program. Uh, but now let's head to some news and notes. And first, uh, I usually ask Josh about um, you know various entrepreneurial questions, and so I, I wanted to throw one out that we had a private discussion about earlier today, Michael, and that was networking. And uh, I was at an event. Um, I, I go to very few events because I'm just, I don't know, busy entrepreneur and all that. And so I was at an event and chatting with uh, with Sheldon Kagan, the, mm-hmm. the the events guru of Montreal, Definitely. who's retired and is loving his retirement life. If anyone's wondering well, where Sheldon Kagan is, it's often on a beach. He's uh, having a great time. And so he was saying uh, a couple of points of advice that he gave me um, for, for, for business networking was, first of all, put some time and effort into LinkedIn. And also going to the events, and I was I was saying like I you know um, I'm just not good I'm, I'm not a schmoozer like Sheldon and many business people are. So what advice do you have for the introverted business person? Well, shockingly, that's uh, that's me. I mean, over the years, the reality of of wanting to go out and shake hands and network like a politician has really not been my strength. Uh, I happen to be very lucky and have a number of partners who we complement each other very well. Josh being one of them who just loves to go out and, and socialize and network. And if he wasn't married, he'd probably be out eight nights a week. I, on the other hand, am a little more reserved and a little better on the one-on-ones. Uh, so I spend a lot of time uh, in uh, very much smaller groups, uh, either uh, in lunches four or five times a week being out. Uh, I also do a lot of involvement within the charities and, and groups within the city, so sitting on uh, charitable committees uh, as chair or vice chair. Um, and I have to tell you that you know there's a lot of networking that goes on in those opportunities as well. I find it a much more fluid, much uh, easier way to start a conversation. Um, there are a lot of people that swear by the networking events. Uh, I think it depends on your personality. I think you have to look at what drives you and, and what is the most comfort. I mean, if you, if you walk into an event and you don't want to be there, trust me, everybody's going to notice. Mm. So, you know, you don't want to walk in and, and, and be uh, kind of, uh, you know, the wallflower, like a high school dance waiting for somebody to ask <laughs> you to dance. Felt uh, that before. Yeah, been there, done that. So, you know, you really have to find that environment that, that makes you comfortable. Um, I think you need the LinkedIn is definitely part of it. Uh, I think the networking events are definitely part of it. But I think like everything else, you need a strategic plan in terms of what you feel comfortable going out and doing uh, because you can waste an awful lot of time doing things uh, that you don't want to be doing with very little outcome. And I really Mm -hmm. do think you need to take a step back at these things and and look. 
And if you're somebody that has uh, a special skill set, a special knowledge, uh, or you know, even in your case, you know, you've got the uh, the, the radio personality, uh, probably speaking uh, at various events, uh, the ability to not have to sit there and schmooze and you know grab 17 drinks and, uh, and and try and have a conversation with somebody you don't know, but that ability to be this, the focal point, even if it's in smaller groups, uh, I think is 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 probably a really good way to go if you're a bit of an introvert. And I know everybody's going to tell me, well, you know, standing up on stage, I have to tell you, it's a lot easier than it looks once you figure out how to do it and what works for you. I find that a lot easier than than networking. Yeah. And would you say um, you have to have a balance of sort of in-person and social networking as well? Because there's maybe a tendency to emphasize the social, especially if you're an introvert, to to get into that online space. But you do have to get out there into the real world, too. There is no doubt that the face-to-face human interaction still beats just about everything else out there. The advantage of social media and the online presence is this ability to mass market yourself, uh, you know, be in a lot of places all at once. Um, but let's face it, if you're in any kind of service business, any kind of environment where you know you need to build trust, you need to build a relationship, you can't do that online. You do have to find a way to be out there. Uh, some news now. Uh, this is uh, from the Financial Post. The one big way small businesses can do better than the big guys, and uh, and their their secret to success is hiring more millennials. Uh, do you think that that is something that uh, that businesses just have to do, just get more millennial perspectives in their organizations? I don't think we have enough time and a bottle of scotch to have that conversation. <laughs> uh, Definitely. I mean, there, there's no doubt that the, the wave of the future continues to be the millennials and the Gen Zs. Uh, you will get a lot of people now in the process of, of discussing the effects and how Gen Zs are going to be pushing uh, at the heels very, very swiftly to the millennials. Uh, but let's face it. I mean, the millennials downward are generations that understand technology, that understand this ability to to Facebook, to to use the social media, to uh, LinkedIn, uh, to the powers that you know some of us old folks don't quite have the uh, the same uh, skill set. And uh, in terms of what, one one aspect I've noticed about this trend is that, uh, and perhaps I'm wrong, but it seems that. Um, uh, boomers are are a little bit slow to hand over the reins, and is 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 that my impression, or am I just kind of a bitter millennial? No, I I would say it's definitely the case. I think there's a number of reasons behind it. I think every generation feels it knows more than the previous generation, that the the new generation. Uh, I think the the boomers are all about people and all about that interaction, and they don't see that coming from the millennials the same way. Uh, there's a lot of people who mistakenly claim that the millennials are lazy. What they are is passionate. And it takes a lot more effort and a lot more time to find what they want to do. But once they find what they want to do and how they want to commit, they're probably ahead of most of the boomers in terms of that involvement. But they have to find what they want to do. And, and I think there is a, a misperception amongst most people that uh, that desire to do the right thing that turns them on uh, can be seen as laziness. Though, however, at some point, I think you do going to have to wake up and get involved in something. So you can't wait too long to find your passion. And in a related story, also from Financial Post, uh, retiring baby boomers will trigger a huge wave of business transfers in the next five to ten years. So, yeah, perhaps some evidence that that those reins are being held back a little bit, and we're going to have that that wave of succession soon. Yeah, what you had, unfortunately, is is if you go back to uh, 2008 and 9 when uh, the Great Recession hit, what you ended up with is a lot of people that wanted to move on at that point found their uh, uh, retirement savings and their portfolios a little low and decided to work a little bit longer. So we've been you know we've been on this five to ten year kick on the on the transition. Um, if you go back, like I said, to around 2010. They had the option. I think what's happening now is the boomers are starting to get older, and they're really not going to have a choice but to start to loosen the reins. Now, I don't want to talk about Trump here, but uh, there is some news for for business owners here in Canada, and that is uh, that uh, that he's going to try to pass 
uh, UMSCA, I guess the new the new version of NAFTA, uh, but he's going to have to get it through the Democratic-controlled Congress first. Is is this good news for Canadian business that this might be put off? Well, I think it all depends on who you read. Uh, I have to admit I have not read every line. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have not read every line, and I certainly have not, uh, you know, uh, spent uh, the amount of time to understand the uh, the differences between the two. Um, you'll excuse the pun, but a lot of people call this just a trumped-up version of of, of NAFTA. Um, there are some advantages to it. There are some, you know, pitfalls to it. Uh, I think, like everything else that Trump does, it's really about putting his fingerprint on things. And I think at the end of the day, he's making a much bigger event out of all of this. He promised he would make some changes. I think this is a little bit of smoke and mirrors at the end of the day. Will there be some negatives? Of course. Somebody always gets hurt in a trade deal, so there's no doubt. And, you know, but no matter what happens, Trump's going to come out in his mind smelling like roses. Are you hearing uh, a lot of concern from your clients that do a lot of business with the states? You know, the biggest issues really are the, are the, uh, are the tariffs that have been put in place and the effects on, uh, on things like steel. Um, and it's already worked its way into the price regardless of, you know, when the, when the tariffs are coming into place. So there is definitely some upward pressure on, on a lot of things. Some of them are a little uh, unrealistic. Um, I know that, uh, you know, how, how, how quickly they get put into place and how realistic uh, they are on a long-term basis, I guess, depends, uh, depends on how firm, I guess, everybody wants to hold. But uh, there are some people with concerns. By and large, I think most of the smaller businesses are not seeing massive, uh, massive concerns at this point. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. Up next, we're going to get to our profiles, Joe Biggio and Pierre Lemoyne of Quovim C3. They do communications and contact center software, uh, including something you might be familiar with from the city of Montreal. So we'll get to uh, Joe and Pierre coming up in just a little bit. Professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Michael Newton in for Josh Miller tonight. And this evening, yeah. we welcome to studio Joe Biggio and Pierre Lemoyne of Quovim C3. They are a communications and contact center software company. Uh, Joe and Pierre, welcome to CJD. Hi, Thank great to much. be here. You. Can you tell me first a little bit about your business? Sure. So Quovim C3, we are what's called software integrator. So essentially what we do is we take an off-the-shelf product, um, uh, off-the-shelf software, and we customize it, we develop it, and we configure it to match those uh, the needs of our clients. So what kind? give us an example of some of the software, some of the things that you might... So typically the software that we work with primarily is what we call customer experience software or contact center software. So essentially what that means, if you think about the type of clients that we work with, you know, we're talking about uh, clients that are across multiple sectors. So it could be retail, it could be insurance, it could be healthcare, financial services. The point that makes that kind of brings them all together is the fact that they're dealing with a very high volume of inbound or outbound interaction. So that could be calls, it could be emails, it could be chat, SMS. So what our software does, it essentially enables them to better manage those interactions. So to prioritize them and to see who should be the best person to either take that call, respond to that email, or respond to that chat. Okay. The key objective is that we're saying that we're enabling the organization to provide a better customer experience. 
So essentially, the software that we're implementing is helping to improve the customer experience and also improve the efficiency of the organization towards that service. And one client, for example, is something we've all used probably before, a service from the city of Montreal, 311. 311 is an example. We have several examples with the federal government, with the 1-800-O-Canada, which is a citizen service, Mm -hmm. a communication service, uh, insurance company. So we have several insurance companies that provide for both for uh, claims, uh, the claims and also for renewals. Uh, insurance company is a very high uh, market, for, a good market for us. Um, also transportation, a bit of the transportation is also pu- a public utility such as uh, Energia, another one of our customer, good customer. And so how long have you guys been together? Or how long have you been in the business? What got you started? So officially, I mean, the way we started is uh, I started my own company back in 2008. <laughs> and then Pierre started his in 2009. Nice. Okay. And then what we did is we operated for about four or five years together, you know, or I should say separately at that time. And then we kind of knew each other in the industry for a little while. And then it wasn't up until about 2011, I think, Pierre, where we actually just sort of sat together and just basically said, you know, we think it makes more sense to merge our two entities together. Um, You know, we were about the same size. Uh, You know, Pierre had a good, uh, Pierre and his his team, Alain at the time, had a good uh, technical background uh, on my, on my hand, on my end. Uh, we actually had a couple of large clients. So he kind of, you know, we, we kind of put the, the puzzle together. You know, I solved the one part of the problem is I brought some nice, you know, large, uh, reputable flagship accounts. And, accounts. Yeah. and then Pierre on his side, you know, solved the technical problem, you know, and then when we merged our two practices together. And I had on my end several customers, but smaller customers. That's right. What's it like when you're – tell me about that process. You're trying to establish if you're going to be friends or competitors, right? And how did you work that out? Well, it, it, it doesn't happen overnight for uh, for sure, okay? So we had our first meeting on uh, January 2011, okay? So at the first meeting, we kind of discussed about our respective business. I've always, always been careful about, okay, what you're saying and all that. But uh, so we kind of like had the discussion at the time. And uh, after a few weeks, we kind of decided at the time that it was not the right timing, okay? So for a different reason in terms of this contract and also where I was standing in the, in the, in the, in the, um, with the, the business. So we kind of like let it go for another year. And then back in 2012, in January 2012, we sat down and that's where everything uh, was aligned in terms of the contract he was having, what we had in terms of the support on our hand and the technical knowledge, and we kind of felt it was a good timing at this point to uh, to merge the two uh, the two companies. Yeah. So it sounds really easy, really good, really fluid, no problem. <laughs> you know, I've got I've had people say to me, "Oh, we're going to join our businesses together. It's all good, and we're going to start run tomorrow." How did you come up with values? How did you come up with how to take things forward? How did you put some kind of monetary side to what you were doing? Well, actually, um, funny thing is, it was it was quite easy for us. I think the way we approached it was we wanted to keep things simple. Um, you know, I feel that you know I thought of Pierre, and I think Pierre was thinking of me uh, when we were putting the two companies together. I think what helped us also, of course, is you know our size at the time. It was relatively similar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I think we just put the business first. Um, we were both coming from, you know, years of backgrounds and sales and software and everything. We knew what worked. We knew what 
could, you know, God forbid, make us fail or whatever it was. So we just put the emphasis on the business. And, uh, you know, the funny story is that sometimes I tell Pierre that when we started the business together, we kind of both looked at this and said, you know, we'll put this together. We'll see what happens, you know, and that was kind of like what we said to each other. And then within literally just a few months, uh, we landed our first major, major deal. And then we looked at each other and we're like, wow, we have a real business going here. And then that's, you know, so that's, we just, you know, we just put the emphasis where it needed to be. Yeah, obviously we're like 50-50, so we decided to go 50-50. Very nice. Forget about any kind of value and just move on, make it happen. Like I said, we did it in January 2012, the meeting that we had, and in May 2012, everything was signed and we were up and running uh, in New York. Great. Thanks, guys. You're really a testament to what I do for a living. So remind me not to invite you back the next time I want to sell myself. What advice would you give uh, for for people who have had maybe maybe rougher experiences uh, bringing their companies together? Uh, well, I think, uh, like I said before, Dan, I think the most important thing is keep things simple. Leave your ego at the door, as yeah. we say. I think that's the number one thing. I think that's the major thing that gets into into people's minds is what's my title going to be and how much you know how much will I own and you know et cetera. At the end of the day, I mean, when the company you know, God willing sells or whatever it is. And, you know, you're both making money. I think that's what counts, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's the success that you can both have. And find the value, if I may add, the value of each, uh, of each individual. So for us, I mean, back in 2011, when as we first met, okay, we knew that we had the same value in terms of the business, okay? Coming from different culture, okay, different religions and everything else. But on the other hand, on, in terms of the business, what was important for us, okay, in, in going to the market, so that was the basis, okay, where we said, okay, yes, we're fit for each other, okay. Interestingly enough, and, I, and I'll just point it out, you, yeah. you get a lot of that early 50-50 discussion the first year or two. You guys have been together six pushing seven years, so I would have to say you've got a model that works, and it's not kind of that honeymoon, and then three years in, you look at each other, and you're saying you're not pulling your weight, so power to you to, uh, to be you. still moving Thank along. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, quickly before the break, did you guys make an announcement? Did you? How did you tell your customers? Uh, first, we had to meet the customer prior to uh, to merge. Okay, so we had to get some uh, some uh, agreement. Okay, for some existing customers, especially on Joe's site. So there was also some of the condition at the time mm-hmm. where we had to meet the customer, agree. Okay, on the continuity of the contracts that uh, that we both had. And also on the employees that we had in place, we wanted to make sure that also on my side, the technical resource was still was still on. So these are the things that we did prior of going to uh, uh, to the merger. And yeah. Coming up next, we'll talk a bit about marketing, HR, and other issues. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800 with Joe Biggio and Pierre Lemoyne of Clovim C3. More with these gentlemen in just a moment. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Michael Newton, in for Josh Miller. We'll be back next week on the program. And this evening, we're chatting with Joe Biggio and Pierre Lemoyne of Quovim C3. They are a communications and contact center software company and recently came together a few years ago, about six, seven years ago, guys. And um, we were talking about uh, about announcing this uh, the merger to, to your customers and marketing yourselves together. Um, can you speak to perhaps uh, the challenges of, of sort of 
marketing this new entity and, and how, how you guys uh, get in touch with new customers? Yeah, sure. So marketing was actually one of the first, uh, I would say, probably big investments that we made um, within a, a year, a year or two, even of founding the company. So I think we were still, you know, four or five employees, and and right away, you know, we brought in a we brought in a, mar a marketing manager, um, part time at the beginning, um, and that grew to, to full time today. But you know, we made some big investments as far as LinkedIn, and that was right around the time where you know, not to, uh, about a couple of years ago, where LinkedIn started to take off and, and things like that. So you know, we did, we, you know, we participated in a couple of key events, but we didn't do too much advertising. Um, you know, we really focused on social media, um, you know, email newsletters, things like that. And then the other big thing that we did do is right away we got into, you know, outbound uh, sales, uh, sales, you know, telesales, if you want, where we really started, you know, to contact customers, potential customers, get our name out there. Um, you know, we did everything possible to try and find potential clients, you know, so look, scraping off of different websites and trade shows and whatever we could do um, to, to reach out to potential clients to let them know that we exist. And, uh, and Pierre, do, do, do your styles different in terms of marketing or business development? Do, uh, do, do your styles dif differ? But I've been uh, made maybe a little bit uh, because I'm coming from the uh, I was coming from the uh, the call, call center business, so I was also partnering in another business that we sold uh, to Bell Canada years ago, and uh, coming from that field already, where I spent about what 13 years. Okay, so I had some kind of my network, and so I was more located on the on the uh, Quebec market. So essentially, we started to go over the Quebec market again. Okay. Uh, reaching out to the uh, the customer, as a, so although I was more on the uh, with the uh, large organization, our target market was also the mid-sized organization. So it kind of was uh, it was kind of a new market for for me, but essentially through the contacts, uh, the networks. Okay, so uh, we're talking about uh, uh, events being part of uh, AQT, SSS, okay, because the technology participating in some seminars. So Techno that kind Montreal. of helped. Yeah. Uh, Techno Mon Montreal as well. So it kind of helped us to uh, position ourselves and get to know uh, on top of the, uh, the contacts that I had at the time. So you guys have grown quite a bit uh, since you first moved to, moved in together. Yeah. Um, you went from, I guess, 15 to, which is kind of that magic number, I guess, in terms of being able to handle stuff yourself, to starting to have to, I guess, acquire some HR services or internal. Uh, you've also correct. You're up to about 35 people now. Mm -hmm. uh, you did an acquisition back in August that brought in a few more people on board. Maybe give us just a little bit of... Uh, of an idea of how the growth, uh, some of the, the the good and the bad that came with uh, the people management uh, management skills. Yeah, so the HR aspect was something, again, um, kind of like the marketing that we did uh, pretty early on, I would consider. So we did that somewhere about 15 or so employees. And, you know, I reached out to uh, an HR um, consultant that I knew in the industry, and I brought her, you know, we brought her in mainly to work on things like, you know, employee handbooks and uh, HR contracts and all that stuff. And what was interesting about that was that we ended up delving into organizational development, uh, business performance, uh, business objectives. What was our five-year goal? You know, this was stuff that we did early on when, you know, with Techno Montreal and a couple of other organizations that we worked with. But, you know, she brought us, I would say, to probably another level of detail where we really had to really think hard. And, you know, it was a lot of workshops, a lot of hours where we sat down together and we said, well, where do we want to be in, you know, one, two, five years from now? 
I think part of it is also the recognition that your time is better spent elsewhere. And it doesn't mean, doesn't mean ignoring the people who work with you, but it means leading them in a strategic environment that is not necessarily handling some of the uh, the base HR issues that is definitely not your skill set. Um, found it interesting. Mm-hmm. You, you you acquire a firm in, in, in August. So when you, when you decided to go that route, what were you looking for? Were you looking for this, obviously, from a strategic perspective, but in what form? Like what were you trying to accomplish and what was your goal? Well, the, the, the important thing about this acquisition that we did, um, it, although it was small, it was maybe a little bit strategic for us in the sense that, you know, it, it allowed us to get into a space that is becoming more and more important for our industry. So it's really the what we call the customer experience. So it's it's really sitting with our clients and understanding what is that what we call the happy journey of a client when they contact you, when they call you, um, you know, what's a good customer experience. And in fact, that's part of our, uh, you know, our mission and our vision is that we, we view ourselves as a company that can enable companies to create memorable interactions. So we're really just an enabler. At the end of the day, it's our customers that are going to create that memorable experience, but we're really there just to you know, provide them with the tools that they need to make that experience happen. For most people, you know, calling a call center is is unpleasant. H- how do you guys transform that, and and what do you, what strategies do you help implement uh, companies who who want to make the process less painful? That's a great question because I mean a lot of times it's you know we'll get questions like oh we could do speech you know where we do a speech recognition, so that's where we you know we really sit down with our customers and we look at you know. What is that high volume of calls? You know, what's repetitive? What can we automate? So we look at all facets. We look at marketing. What could be done on the website? You know, that that could perhaps deflect some calls. We have a great success story of one of our clients that literally took um, call volume for their uh, their technical support department, um, dropped it down by eighty uh, percent simply by deploying um, a what you call basically a portal for client for their own customers. Uh, that would have FAQs combined with chat. So chat is something that comes up in a lot of our discussions with our customers, probably one of the hardest mediums to deploy. But this particular client, because they combine chat with FAQs, actually were able to reduce that call volume and got great feedback from their end customers. So you're providing the software and the support that creates this online. Correct. Uh, the services, the software, the consulting, everything that goes into it from the <clears throat> very beginning. You know, so we'll took we'll take the customers kind of what we call their call flows, their you know their call menus, and all of that, and we'll look at how we can optimize that customer experience. You know, we look at what their SLAs are, what their their service level objectives are. You know, we look at where really where do they want to be. You know, how do they define a memorable customer experience? And that's what we'll try to work on and try and build that into the technology that we deploy. And with this acquisition, just going back to the acquisition, when you looked at before the technology, you have the processes, okay, and you have the people, resources, and then the technology that support that. So with this acquisition, so we're able also to be at the beginning of the discussion, okay, with our customer to help them, okay, to look at their processes, okay, how they can improve that ex- customer experience. What about the people, the training of those resources? So you're talking about creating that scheduling for your clients that make sure that they have the right people available on the other end of the phone. That's among one answer. of the things. Okay. Exactly. The scheduling, training, okay, what kind of training, what type of skill, type of skills you require in your contact center. And as well as redirecting the call, I guess, to the right that's person, correct. right? And then so the that's, all, that's 
technology. all technology based. I, I, I and always, the technology will support that. That's right. right. I always give the example. We're kind of like the traffic cop. You know, that's we right. will tell you what's the best route to take for you to have that fastest, you know, and best customer experience possible. You know, essentially, that's what it is that we do. All right. Well, uh, Joe Biggio and Pierre Lemoyne, you're going to hang on for a few minutes here, and we'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, one each for each, coming up at the end of the show. Uh, and coming up next, uh, fitting segue, we'll get right to HR and uh, and IT solutions, new tech solutions for human resources. That's on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Michael Newton, in for Josh Miller this week. And we'll have Joe Biggio and Pierre Lemoyne's one piece of advice for today's, well, two pieces for today's Entrepreneur coming up at the end of the show from Quovim C3. Uh, but first, we bring back our HR specialist from FL, Micheline Mayette. Welcome back, Micheline. Hi, Dan. So we, we just finished the discussion about uh, acquisitions and HR and, and all that. And, uh, and I want to talk about some cool tech uh, mm-hmm. As it applies to your industry, and for for the longest time, uh, you kind of worked on uh, on on very subjective human impressions, right? In, in HR, and but that's changing. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, most areas of a business today use a computer, use some kind of technology. I mean, there's not many, very many companies anymore that are still doing accounting. You know, all of their accounting in Excel. Uh, so I think HR is probably one of the you know the last sectors of a business to get technology. Um, it's being used mainly by bigger companies, but today there's so many more affordable softwares available for small, medium-sized business. And with this new model of, you know, you know, you pay a certain amount of dollars per employee per month, that it's really easy to use it even in smaller entrepreneurial businesses. So what kind of software, what kind of, what, what are you replacing with the software? Mm-hmm. Are you talking about managing employee files? Are you talking about uh, hiring yeah, I mean, it really can cover all aspects. I mean, there's some less sophisticated to very sophisticated softwares available. Um, you know, a lot of the administrative functions can be replaced by software today. So a lot of all the paperwork to get an employee onboarded, for example, it can all be done autom- like automatically through a workflow. Um, another thing that's very popular is for recruitment. Uh, you know, it's very hard sometimes to manage all of the candidates that we're receiving through all these different platforms. So today, uh, they call it an applicant tracking system, an ATS. Companies can use that also to manage the recruitment process. Uh, so right now, a lot of it is more of a database, if you will, that you can search. Uh, but that's an area where, you know, if you look at AI, uh, there's some AI applications that are starting. It's really on the cutting edge at this point. So it's not um, something that's very, uh, you know, not a lot of companies are using it right now, if if any, but it's something that's that's on the brink of happening. A lot of recruiters, I think, are using the AI process in order to scale down and narrow down the the process for some of their clients. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think there's a lot of, certainly the smaller businesses, not using AI to go out to market to, to hire. Yeah, no, for sure. So I mean, there's sometimes like LinkedIn, for example, will propose, you know, a top 50 candidates based on your profile. Uh, but there's some technology where the first interviews can even be done through webcam and where the webcam can have some, um, you know, recognition of whether people are lying or not. So it can even get to that point. I think one of the things that we really have to be careful with is some ethical issues that could come with it. Because a lot of these softwares, um, you know, are looking for certain words or language. Um, so sometimes it can actually eliminate candidates of a certain ethnicity. It can eliminate women from certain positions. 
Uh, so there's a lot of ethical issues when looking at this. When it comes to the interview process, have we have we outsourced that to AI yet? Like a first round interview, or that was being done by bots yet? <laughs> Not that much. Sometimes you can have initial questions that would be, you know, could be asked through a software. So candidates could answer the questions. Um, the softwares can recognize certain words, maybe keywords that they're looking for. Um, but again, I mean, the ones that are actually doing the first interview, it's very rare at this point. But it is, it is out there, though. There are companies that are using it. Just it's not very common. So what are you seeing when you when you sit down to do uh, and you go through the exercise where they acquired a business and you're starting mm -hmm. to look at dealing with uh, the HR component of a due diligence? Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything yet that is that we're finding ourselves in in, in the uh, software component side, or is this still kind of the manual laborious process <laughs> of, uh, of sitting down to try and link two businesses together? It depends if they already have software, but softwares today can even do um, you can do workforce planning through a lot of these softwares. A lot of them have predictive analytics. So, uh, you know, when you're getting dashboards in HR, you can even get a dashboard of which employees are likely to leave your company and resign so that you can take actions with the appropriate people. Uh, what Have you found any uh, interesting technological advancements in terms of recruiting, uh, you know, perhaps optimizing websites to, to favor uh, certain applicants uh, submitting their CVs? You know, today I think that's the hardest question is how do you get people to actually apply for jobs, right? So a lot of it's through social media. That's the main thing today. Um, you know, I work on recruitment. Our, the team works on recruitment. And the biggest problem is actually not even managing applicants today. It's really how to attract people to your company. Um, so a lot of it is through social media. A lot of it is through how do you advertise the company through the website. So the first thing a, a candidate's going to go do is go see your website, go see your LinkedIn or your Facebook. And that's how you're going to pique their initial interest because most people are working right now. If you look at the labor market numbers, most people already have a job, so they don't need a job. You have to convince them that they want to leave their current job to go to yours. It's funny. We started off the program talking about the baby boomers and the millennials and the Gen Zs. And, you know, the old school mentality is you want a job, you apply for a job, you hit the pavement, you run out and you look for find that job. Basically, now, I think most of the young people are looking to be attracted uh, and, you know, induced uh, in order to apply for your job. That's just a complete reverse psychology. So some of the older guys are not uh, not so not so uh, fluid and, uh, yeah. and comfortable on that. Uh, perhaps we'll turn to Joe and Pierre. Have you had experience uh, recruiting, and and do do you use any any kind of new tactics to 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 lure millennials in particular to your business? When we started, as a matter of fact, uh, as last just last week, where we did uh, so, we did an open house uh, last week. Mm -hmm. I say where we uh, send. Uh, uh, we send message to uh, university, different universities, and also contact that we made over the years. And we had an open house at the office where most of our employees were there, okay, meeting with those uh, people, just walking by, uh, mm -hmm. learning about the organization, what we can do, what kind of position, and so on. So that was one of the way that uh, we found that uh, uh, is um, we'll look, well, we don't know yet how it's going to result, but I think we had a good turnout. Mm. Uh, referrals is one of the key items uh, with the uh, with our employees. I would say that in our case, 50% uh, mm. of, uh, of our employees are, are coming from referrals, and then after that, the uh, social networks uh, mm -hmm. that's what we're using. 
it only goes to impress upon you the, the 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 amount of time and effort within your organizations you have to spend if we're trying to attract mm-hmm. people to come work with us it's a whole different ball game than from mm-hmm. what it used to be you know we used to say well people they, they should be happy to have a job i don't know how many times if you've been around some uh, some some people that have been uh, employing for a long time they should be happy to be employed they should if they don't like it they can it's a whole different it's game out different. there now. yeah and let's not forget we're up against you know the startups yeah. the lattes and you know the free laptops and the you know all those things that we have to compete against so those are definitely challenges that we have to overcome at the end of the day people like working with people that they like absolutely so i think that's a great strategy to get mm-hmm. people to actually get to know you because that's mm-hmm. how you really know the fit and through referrals to 100 percent. that's why your own employee experience is so important mm-hmm. um when you have employees that really love working for you they'll tell everybody they know about it we're up against the clock but gentlemen please your one piece of advice uh, one each for today's oh. entrepreneur well, I would say the, the most important thing that I would retain from this experience so far is not to be afraid. Um, in other words, you know, not to be afraid to expand, not to be afraid to make that phone call. Um, I'll never forget our experience of how we broke into the U.S. was when our first U.S. customer called us because they had seen our name on a website somewhere. And, you know, that was like the big giant that we were coming into. And uh, that's that's my number one piece. Thank yeah. you, NPR. Uh, in my case, I would say keep the focus, okay? When you founded the company, okay, you had an idea, you had some target, you had some uh, strategy. So keep the focus and through all that focus, also keep your ego on the side, okay? And look, okay, how you can achieve this uh, uh, this focus that you had. And then that's how you can we can merge. And uh, I don't think we would, we would have been here, okay, if, we, if it was not for the merger, okay? Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank, uh, you, very thank much. you very much for having us. Michel Mayette as well. Uh, Joe Biggio, Pierre Lemoyne of Quovem C3. And, uh, and Michael, thank you for being here. This Always a pleasure, Dan. Take care. And back next week, Monday nights at 7. And next week, we'll get into real estate with Tyden. Good evening. <laughs>